0: Welcome to the Rescue Church podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. Tonight we're freestyling. This is going to be like a freestyle. I've got no notes. I've got this cute little painting here, <laughs> and uh, I got no notes. And so we're gonna we're gonna freestyle, which this could get dangerous. But uh, I want to try to be somewhat respectable and respectful. Um, but uh, we're gonna. There's no promises. So uh, if you're done before we are. <laughs> No pressure, and uh, but I, I want to speak to you. I want to speak something over us, and I want to speak to something right now. Okay, as you know in Acts one, uh, as we're getting as Jesus is getting ready to ascend, there's uh, his best guys are still really confused. His best guys, not his worst guys, not like the guy that comes once a month or like you know six times a year, you know, but like his absolute best guys are still totally confused. After walking with him for three years, seeing him walk on water, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, speak to storms, uh, I mean, walk through a crowd of people without getting killed. I mean, sleep in a storm. These are his literal best guys. He spent 40 days with them. After his resurrection, he cooked them breakfast, grilled fish, on the beach. And he talked to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. One message, 40 days, a resurrected Jesus. These guys still don't get it. And so they asked this question. And this question is so actually applicable today because Christians today, Jewish people today, are asking the same question 2,000 years ago, and still don't have the answer, all right? This This is stunning, but the answer is actually right here, and it doesn't take someone who's that smart to see it, because I can see it, so it doesn't take a lot, it just takes a little, a little mustard seed faith, and just a little common sense to follow through on what's happening. So in verse 6 of Acts 1, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time, Kronos, restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times, Kronos, or the seasons, Kairos, which the Father has put in his own authority. Okay. So they're coming to him, and they're going like this. When are you going to... MAGA Israel. When are you gonna make Israel great again? When are you gonna restore the former glory to Israel? Like in the days of David, like in the days of Solomon, when Israel was strong, when they had wealth, when they had military force, when they when they had geopolitical reach, when they were like the most powerful nation in that in that side of the world they were like the top dog when will you restore when will you maga israel and this question is a question that exposes something deep and profoundly wrong with Jesus's best guys. So if you feel like, when you look in the mirror and you go, man, I'm really kinda messed up. Listen, you're in good company, don't worry, don't quit, don't give up, because Jesus's best people were, were not the people that I would select. I wouldn't even make some of those guys deacons, let alone apostles, and these guys, Jesus chose these guys, and, and so he didn't do it by accident, and he chooses crazy people like us, which is good news. So what you see with them is what I call the dark trinity of bondage. It is when political, religious, and ethnic bondage come together and make you completely blind. That was what the Pharisees were carrying, a spirit of blindness. They they could not fully see it. Even his best guys, when he told Peter he's going to die, Peter rebuked him, and then Jesus rebuked Satan. But in Peter, he calls Peter Satan. It says, get behind me, Satan, for you value the things of men, not the things of God. So the wrong value system is satanic, and it will blind you to the thing that God is wanting to do. And the, the wrong value system, this is what it doesn't want. The wrong value system doesn't want sacrifice. The wrong value system is always what's in it for me versus what can I give to it. So if you come to your marriage for what's in it for you, you're not going to have a good marriage. But if if you go to your marriage for what you can bring to the marriage, you have a good marriage. If you come to the relationship with people for what can I can give, you have a good relationship with people. So people who, let's say you're gonna get a new job, and your first question is, how much do they pay? Wrong question. If, if that is what is first in your life, that is revealing something is broken in you, the first question you ask is, what are my responsibilities? What does it require of me? And then you measure by the compensation by the responsibility, and then you make a choice. All right, so that was free job consulting right there. But anyway, so now, it is not for you to know the times, Chronos, watch time, and, and, and the seasons, kairos, which are the divine occasions, kind of like where God breaks into time and space, where the kingdom breaks through the world and the kingdom comes and the kingdom manifests. So he says to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own, some translations say power, but that's not the right word. Authority is actually the correct word. And the word there in Greek, is the word exousia. This is very, very important. Do you know the reason why many people, the devil does two things to people with authority. People are damaged by authority or people are neglected by authority so they have authority issues. So the dad is either, we'll use the dad, we're always, a, you know, that's an easy target. The dad is, you know, it's always his fault. If it's great, it's God. Uh, if it's if, if if it's terrible, it's Iswald. You know that's how it's like similar to the pastor. You know if it's amazing, it's Jesus. If it's terrible, it's you. <laughs> Nobody, you cannot judge people on how you how you do, how they do. They'll always judge you on that. You know this is part of what we sign up for. And uh, people go nice sermon, which is to say you just evaluated me for the last forty minutes. If I were to fully evaluate you, you wouldn't like me. Only Brett would like me. It would be me and Brett together, stuck together, and uh, so so anyway. But that's okay. So now, the enemy works against us to have authority issues. Then we look at the government and go, oh, "My God, they're they're crookier than me!" Wow, they're terrible. And so then you you know we're like, "Man, we have we have." And then you have scandals in churches, scandals in government, and so you have all this 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 damage that is done to our perception of authority for two reasons. One, the greatest realm of faith operates with an understanding of how to relate to authority correctly. When Jesus said to the centurion, you have mega faith, we don't even have this faith in Israel, it was because he knew that if he speaks a word that things move, and he said, I'm a man under authority, therefore I have authority. So mega faith operates with an understanding of authority. So what does that mean? That means that if you don't learn how to relate to authority correctly, you will never operate in mega faith. Because when someone offers you a gem or a blessing or a pearl, you're still a swine and you don't take it. You go, I don't want to hear that. I don't see that. Don't say that to me. Who are you? But really, someone just gave you something they paid 10 years for to be able to see, and they gave it to you for free and you rejected it. So... Just bleeding kids, everyone's all right. So it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So now, what does this mean? This means, so if I could do a little circle, if I had a little diagram, if I had a little whiteboard, I would draw a circle on the whiteboard and I would write authority, or I'll give you the Greek, exousia. And then inside exousia, I would put two words, Kronos, which is watch time, which is not stopping for you or I, and Kairos. So in the realm of the Father's authority, in his his hand, right, is Kronos time and Kairos time, which means if you don't take authority over your time you will miss the divine opportunity that god has set out for you so you have to take authority over your time tina made they made a reel about that the other day remember tina she was like you got to take authority over your day you remember that that you know how biblical that is that's not a you know self help that's bible you have to take authority so the enemy will work real hard to damage Your idea of authority. So you have to fight because in our culture and in our day, we have all of these, these images and these scandals and this stuff that is trying to make us skeptical of authority, rebellious of godly authority, suspicious of authority. And what it does is it robs us of great faith and we don't know how to broker time. All right, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, all Judea. You see, he said all Judea. You know why? Because they didn't want to go to Judea. (laughs) Samaria, they didn't want to go to Samaria. One of the things the power of God does is changes your preferences. Your preferences could cost you your prophetic destiny. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, you're not going to do nothing then. If you're not willing to be inconvenienced, if you're not willing to go places that other people are not willing to go, you will not see things other people won't see. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Jesus did not call you to a comfort zone. He gave you a comforter because it would be so uncomfortable. And your comfort is in him. I mean, it, comfort matters if you're buying a couch. Good. A car, sure. Okay, sneakers. All right. But in your Christian life, the goal is not comfort. The goal is to be on, on in step with God, walking with God. So you receive power. So they want to know about this type of political, they want to know, they want to do geopolitical. He wants to do on earth as it is in heaven. They're looking for the good for a good life. He wants to give them a meaningful life. They're looking for one of the core human things, security. But he's saying I want to give you significance. That's what men really crave. See, women are nurturers. So they want to go somewhere and nurture something. Right? That's the primary need of women. That's why if that need is not met, you're going to have a hard time in your marriage, in your life. But that need is not enough. There's another side of that called significance, which is what most men crave. And, And men will sacrifice security and safety for significance. And women that are kingdom, that God forms Jesus in them and crucifies them, that's what they want too. You know, my wife said to me, she said to me out of her own volition one day, she said, I would rather serve the purposes of God in our generation than have a big house and a comfortable life. I don't care about that. But that doesn't happen unless Jesus deals with someone. So first he has to heal, then he has to deal. So if that doesn't happen, then you want the same thing that the world wants, but Jesus' name on it but that's not what we're talking about. So Jesus says to them, you will receive power to be my witnesses. The word witness there is the word martyr. You will receive power to love me more than your own life. Because it takes me to love me and you can't love me in your strength. Hopefully Peter figured that out. Peter's like, I'll die for you three times, the, cro- the, the cock crows and he denies them three times. That shows you that you cannot serve God in your own strength because your strength and my strength will fail. But the new creation is indestructible. The new creation is unbreakable, unshakable. That's why when you see that men and women that tap into the new creation and they understand what creation is groaning for, all of creation is groaning for what? For a manifestation of the sons of God, mature sons of God. Not technon, not little, not not 40 year old man, 50 year old man doing 16 year old boy things. Grown man, grown son, mature son, a son that's ready for an inheritance. That type of son. Creation is groaning for that. All of creation is groaning for us to become like the one who lives inside of us. Which means creation needs Jesus and it's longing for him. He's the desire of the nations. He, he, God put the desire in, of the nations in us and said, disciple nations, but we want to do other things because it's easier and cheaper. But God is looking for people who he can clothe with power and he can entrust with his spirit so that he can send them. So anyway, he, he, he gives them this, they don't get it. The fact that they're asking this question lets you know that they still didn't get it yet God was willing to work with them and on them and in them and through them. Isn't that good? Isn't that liberating? Just take the pressure off of you. If the whole world is relying on you or me, we are in a world of trouble. (laughs) In fact, if I am relying on me, I am in a world of trouble. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know. So anyway, so Jesus ascends, fulfills Daniel 7, 13, and 14, when he comes up to, on the clouds, the Son of, to the Ancient of Days. That that passage is, in rapture theology, which is false, is taken to mean the wrong thing. That They they say that it means the the direct opposite of what it means. He is coming up unto the Ancient of Days on the clouds of heaven, which is a picture of his ascension, not his coming down. So they use the exact verse for the exact opposite of what the Bible actually teaches. (laughs) Ah, ah. But you know what? That's what the wrong value system does. Because the whole rapture thing is we want to escape. We want out of here. Eject. I want to get up out of here. beat me up, Scotty. And that's just not kingdom. Jesus said, I pray that, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them in the world. The meek inherit the earth. We want to float away on a cloud. But Islam wants to rule the world. See, the church has to renew its mind or it's gonna go into exile. All right, we gotta get out of this. This is really not, this is really challenging. All right, now Peter knows, Peter is discerning by the Spirit that Judas, who hung himself, his position has to be occupied. So they do something really spiritual, they roll the dice. And the only prerequisite was that he has to be with us. Let, let, let me let me read it to you. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, although the number was named about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which is the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man's purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and fall headlong, he bursts open into the middle and his entrails gushed out and became known to those dwelling in Jerusalem so that it is called in their own language Akeldama, which is a field of blood, for it is written, let his dwelling place be desolate and let not one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, all of these men who had accompanied us all the time, Chronos, that the Lord Jesus went in and went out. So the one prerequisite was someone who had consistently been with us from the beginning, who was an eyewitness to all of it. See, that's the thing that people don't know. Consistency qualifies people who are not qualified. Consistency gives a voice to people that have no voice. You didn't know Matthias's name. But since he stuck there and he stayed there, he grew into a voice and he became numbered with the twelve. Do you know that that means that one of the that one of the one of the pillars in the city of God, in the eternal city of God, has his name on it because he stuck it out and nobody knew who he was. That see that consistency. These are these are old school principles. I don't feel like it. Nobody cares what you feel like. Just do it. I don't feel like it either. I didn't feel like it for seven years. It doesn't matter. Just show up. Just be consistent and just be faithful and just whatever you ha- whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it your best. Do it for the glory of God. Get- put your best foot forward. So anyway, you know, they, they do something very spiritual. They roll the dice <laughs> and Matthias is selected. Now, This is really what I want to get into, but I don't know how we're going to do this. I hate that clock. Seeing that clock. I just hate that thing. It's like staring at me. Give me your lunch money. So, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting do you know how many times i preach this and i never in my life seen it the holy spirit did not come because they were striving the holy spirit came because they were sitting rest and perseverance Is attractive to God. They did not strive their way into the Holy Spirit. They waited for Him to come. And when He came, they were sitting. Someone who is sitting is someone who is at rest. Someone who is at rest is ready to receive. Not by striving. This is a very, very important principle in the kingdom to receive what money cannot buy. It comes by waiting, but it comes by a waited state. They call old school saints call it tarrying. They say we were tarrying in prayer all night long. When the Holy Ghost showed up. And then they were jumping around, shaking. But we we were they were waiting but actively waiting. In fact, Pentecost was a shrinking prayer meeting. It went from 500 people to 120. Now, and suddenly there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. For any of you who, who are revival students, for any of you who are people of the Spirit, you need to read Like a Mighty Rushing Wind by Meltari, who's one of my mission school teachers. Meltari walked on water, seen water turn into wine. He was a part of the revival that God did in Indonesia. I was in a room one time, he was talking about football, and the Holy Spirit fell in the room. He wasn't even talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit just came in the room because he's a friend of God and God likes him. It was really bizarre. People are freaking out, shaking. And he was just talking about football, and the Holy Spirit fell in the room. It was like, whoa, it was something. But that's a friend of God. God is attracted to his friends. There's some people that they know how to host God, they know how to host the presence of God, they know how to make God feel welcome. You know, God wants to be welcome in all that we do, not just on Sunday or in Bible reading. He wants to do life with us. He wants to feel welcome because he's a person, not a thing. Okay. Uh, He's not an idea. Uh, Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, as one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak uh, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Say Jews. Jews. This is not talking about ethnicity. This is talking about faith. Watch. It says devout men. So it says Jews. Then it says devout men, which are God-fearing men. And then it says and devout men from every nation under heaven. So they're talking about faith in the one true God, the God of Israel, who gave the promises to the patriarchs when people from other nations heard it, they knew it was true and they signed in. So now there's people from every nation on earth in this room. Do you know what room they're in? They're in the upper room. Do you know what happened in the upper room? The upper room is on Mount Zion. The upper room is where Jesus and his disciples had the last supper. The upper room is where the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost. Do you know what's under the upper, do you know what is under the upper room? The tomb of David. Because where God has been, he will come again. Where God has been, he will come again. It's important. So now, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So the tongues that he's just talking about here is not where you edify yourself in the spirit. He's talking about the gift of tongues with the interpretation of tongues all happening spontaneously is an act of God. That's what's happening. I just want to be clear. I'm not against the other thing. I do that all the time. Uh, but th- this is what that's talking about. This, I mean, the, an- the answer to it is clearly right here. I'm not making this up. Okay. Uh, and because everyone heard them speak in his own language, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look. Are not all these who uh, speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language um, which were born? The Parthians Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in the Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrie. Cyrie is Africa. That's where the guy that helped carry Jesus' cross. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites, or those who are were converted. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking. You know, wherever the Holy Spirit moves, there's always doubters and mockers. Anyone that tells you that the Holy Spirit is not moving today, has not, they're ignorant. They have not been in nations, in nations that are poor, in nations that are persecuting, and in nations where the church is is forcefully advancing. Of course that's there. They would never even think about saying something like that. But this is what people who don't know say these things. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to that type. Don't let doubt and unbelief get into your spirit. Don't let someone's disappointment bring doubt into your life. We're faith. We're people of faith. I don't don't have to understand everything that happens. I trust God. And when the gospel is preached, there's signs and wonders. You you, you go and you preach the gospel, you should see signs and wonders. Because God, the Father, through the Spirit is testifying of His Son. And God loves to show the beauty of His Son. That's it. So, signs and wonders did not verify someone's ministry. You could do wonders and still go to hell. But but what it does is it shows the reality of the kingdom of God coming, which is important. Okay. Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. So, wherever there's ignorance, there's accusation. Be careful what you give your ear to, be very careful. But Peter's standing up with them in the eleven. So now Peter stands up. 11 guys stand up with him. So they're, they're sitting. Peter stands on his feet. 11 guys immediately get up. Boom. I've been in a meeting in India where an old apostle who planted 400 churches, uh, he, he came into the meeting. 400 men got on their feet immediately as soon as he walked in like this. The police would ask this man's permission before they went into his village. This, had, this guy had such apostolic authority and influence that he would walk in, 400 pastors would stand on their feet immediately like this as he walked in. See, we're not familiar with that, but this is a problem. In America, we don't understand authority, we don't understand honor, we don't understand respect, and it's limiting us. It is a limiting factor in our life, in our walk with God. These are things that we have to learn as kingdom people. All right. Now, but Peter standing up with them, uh, the 11, raised his voice and said to the men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words, rhema. He announced he's about to give some rhema words, so he need to hear what he's saying. Now watch what he's going to do. For these are not drunk as you suppose. Suppose is presume, and assume. You know what he tells them? You're wrong. Apostolic preaching is confrontational in nature. I mean, if you have ears, you can understand. Every time I speak, I'm coming against something. I don't know if you can see that. Eric likes it. it. <laughs> Red likes it. But I, I am specifically coming against things that hurt people. Amen. So I'm not coming against people. I didn't wake up and take a jerk pill today and go, ah, I can't wait to be a jerk today. Ah, I'm just so great at it. You know, no, no, no. I'm coming against ideas that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and try to rob the people of God of the quality of life that Jesus paid with his own blood for us to live. So that's why, so if you see that, I get a little bit, because I don't want to see people that I love or care about or I'm responsible for get robbed. Amen. Good and it's very, thank you. And it's very subtle. Because none of us sign up and go, hey devil, why don't you rob me today? It doesn't go like that. It, go, it, it You know, as, as it says in, in the Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. So you got to watch out for those little foxes because those little foxes of compromise, they're after the vine. So you got to, you got to, you know, put a bullet in the fox's head because if not, he'll eat your vine. Okay. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour a day. This is not America. They don't give you money to stay home, drink, and smoke pot. There's no, you know, that's not how this works. Peter is saying, listen, it is only the third hour of the day, which means it is nine in the morning, which means these people in this culture are not yet drunk. In that culture, you have to work while the sun is out so that you can get drunk when the sun goes down. So that's how that works in that culture. They were not giving you handouts to get drunk. There was no GoFundMe. So you cannot get drunk at nine in the morning because people that get drunk don't have no money and they have to work first before they can get drunk later. So Peter is addressing they are not drunk as you suppose. He's, he understands the culture. You, gotta, you have to know the culture. That's very important. Okay. Now. But this is what Joel was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men's servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome or terrible, depending on your translation, day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. That's Jesus. The Rhema is the word that proceeds from Jesus. Logos is Him. So the Word of God is a lamp. The lamp is the Logos, and the light is the Rhema. These are, I'm just giving you, you know. Okay. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and you yourself, as you yourself know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God whom you, the prognosis of God, you who have taken by lawless deeds and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I don't know if you're seeing that. It was not possible for death to hold him. So when it says loosed, it means to untie or unbind. This is what it means in Greek. It was not possible for death to hold him down. Impossible. Okay. Now, he is about to quote David standing on top of David's tomb. God is really... If you think that God does not have a humor, I think God had a joker smile. He's like, I'll make this really, I'll mess with everybody. I'm going to get Peter to preach David. (laughs) Peter failed in front of everybody. I'm going to really just jostle everyone's feathers. And uh, (laughs) so anyway, and... For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. You know what needs hope? Your flesh. For your flesh to rest, it needs hope. Your flesh. Your physical body. Okay. So hope is the anchor of your Soul. Soul is your mind, will, and emotions. It gives you emotional stability. Think of an anchor. When a boat is still, the anchor keeps it steady. When a storm comes and there's very tumultuous waters, they take the anchor out and they throw the anchor so that as it passes through the storm, it doesn't flip over. So whether you're in a season of rest or in a season of a storm, you need hope to go through it or to stay in it well. So you need hope. So not only does your soul need hope, but your flesh needs hope. So we always talk about the flesh, the flesh, 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 flesh. And when I say the flesh, people think about sex or whatever. But but that's not. David said that my flesh, that my heart and my flesh cry out for the presence of the living God. So your flesh should develop in Christ and in sanctification, your flesh should develop a desire for the presence of God. Because your flesh comes under subjection in the presence of God. Your flesh needs the presence of God. Or else your flesh will be unruly. And then it'll be like, well, you're tired. Well, you're this. Well, you're that. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, then your flesh is running your life. That's the whole point of fasting. You, you tell your body, shut up, be quiet, you're not eating. That's the whole point of, of, of ruling your desires and saying I'm not going to let sexual desires or sensual desires have dominion over me, but I'm going to possess my vessel for honor. So this is a, this is a very important if you're, if you don't learn how to interact with your own flesh, you will sabotage your future in the kingdom. So the presence of God is one of the ways where God helps us deal with our flesh and recalibrate it and put it in its proper position, which is not first. Army people know that. Army people know that. Right now, if, right now in the United States Marines or in the SEAL teams, right now, if a grenade were to go off, many of the guys would jump on the grenade and eat the hit and die so that the rest of those guys can walk out of there. That's how they're trained. They're trained that the mission is more valuable than your life. We're like, like, I mean, we got to We got to get out of that mentality of feeling. I mean, I want you to have feelings, good feelings. I would prefer good feelings, but they cannot rule your life. They make a good servant, a terrible master. Okay. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. That is speaking of that Jesus, when he went, where did he go? He went to Hades, but for what? To set the to, 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 ah, both. So unified. <laughs> he went, he went to take the keys out of the devil's hand, yap them, whoop, lambano them, right out of his hands, snatch them right out of his hands, like, in what, type of vibe, like, yeah, that's what I did. Like, snatch them right out of his hands and walk out of there, And David is saying that you will not leave his soul in hell because he didn't go there to suffer. He went there to take the keys back to end it for all who believe. So this is David. I mean, David is really a guy that is always seeing into the timeless realm of eternity. The seer seeing into timeless eternity. David sees the unseen. That's what happens when you spend time in the presence of God. You can't help but be a seer. It is impossible for you to be in God's word, for you to pray in the spirit, for you to worship with a sincere heart, and God not show you things that there's no other way that you can see. Impossible. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Now, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us. It's right there. Do you see that? His to- he's standing... preaching Jesus that David saw. Look at how God brings David, his friend, into the situation. Do you know that the last way that God reveals himself in the book of of Revelation, I am the root and the offspring of David. Even in all his craziness, God said, no, no, that is my friend. I am the root and the offspring of David. Before Abraham was... I am, but of the lineage of David. Standing on the tomb there. Because the upper room was built on the tomb of David. Go ahead and fact check me. It's all there. Okay. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, or the Messiah, to sit upon his throne, he foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Do you know that's a miracle too? Because the body starts to decompose after like two days. On the third day, his flesh did not see corruption. Corruption. The word that God spoke held not only the planet in motion, but held his flesh in in, in where it was supposed to be. God is always watching over his word to perform. You know, the Psalm says that you have exalted your word above your own name. What does that mean? That means for three days, when you could not call on the name of Jesus, his word was holding all things in place, holding all things in motion and watching over it to perform itself. Because that's a living word. He exalted his word above even his own name. God, listen to me, God is serious about what he says. That's, if I can say one thing, like, that is so, like, like I am, like, I love to joke around and mess around and play around, but I'm going to tell you something I'm real, real serious about. When God speaks to me, I'm real serious. I'm convinced. I'm serious. I mean, if I, I, you got to show me it in the Bible, but if it's there, if it's real, if it's not some sort of, you know, made-up thing, no, no, I'm really serious about that. God is watching over His Word to perform it. Okay. Then Jesus has raised up, uh, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Kyrios Christos, supreme, the Lord and the Messiah, the the Savior of the world because he is Israel's Messiah. So because he is Israel's Messiah, He is the light to the Gentiles. He is the savior of the world. But we are living in a time and a generation where we want a Jesus who is a therapist and a Jesus who is a life coach, but we don't want a savior and a Lord. We want a therapist and a life coach. And that's not biblical, and I think that you should do a therapist and a life coach, but that's not Jesus. Jesus is first a savior because a therapist cannot save you and a life coach cannot rule you. You need to be saved and ruled or else you will go in the way of destruction. Every one of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. So without the great shepherd of our soul, we will self-destruct. Without self-control, we self-destruct. This is the the situation with with, uh, humans. So anyway, now, when they heard this, they were cut to heart. They were stabbed. They were, it's like a, they were what this is this is let me, let, me, let me explain something this is the type of preaching that we need when people are divinely wounded by God they are caught to heart the conviction of God breaks in and they want to be free from sin and they get power to be free but they have to be caught to heart. This is what we need. We need this in our life. This is so important I, I, I okay. I hate that thing. (laughs) Okay. And Peter said, okay, then they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? God said the people will be willing in the day of the power. What shall we do? Wait a second. Hear this out. This is a Psalm of David. After Acts 1, 9, when Jesus ascends. This is the very next scene. David sees into timeless eternity again. And he sees the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He sees the ascension of Jesus. And, And if you look in the Hebrew, which you can check it out, you want to do that on me. It says, Yahweh said to Adonai. Father says to the son, Adonai. That's why if you look in Hebrew, the the, the the L-O-R-D is all caps. Sit at my right hand. So Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. So Jesus ascends on high. The father turns to him, looks at him and says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool until and we want we want to know everything that God is doing we want to know everything about the news everything but until I make your enemies your footstool we have an until mission and we are focused on every other thing except until and the promise of of the Father is the Spirit because it is through the Spirit that the Father makes good the promise that he made to his sons through his sons and daughters. But if you and I don't know who we are, we don't enter into that mission We don't enter into God's vision of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We get distracted and waiting to get old, retire, maybe somewhere warm so that we can go to the beach and die. And maybe if we're okay, we leave our kids some money. But that is all okay. I mean, I hope you don't die broke. But that is not. That is a low level That is not why we're here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. When Peter stood up, that was the rod of God's strength out of Zion, on Zion. Written by David. The Lord rule in the midst of of your enemies, even through and with Roman occupation. How you like them apples? That means that above Rome is the real Lord and the real king who has the final word. That means that no matter what is going on, people are like, oh, you know, this war in Jerusalem is the end of the world. These folks have been killing each other since... God threw Adam out of the garden. Don't worry about that. Pray for them. Send money. Help people. But let's be focused on what God has for us. Your people shall be volunteers or shall be willing in the day of your power in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Do you know what time was it? 9 a.m. From the womb of the morning. Listen. When God speaks, God will do what God said. So all we need, this is all you need, you, say me, plus a word from God equals majority. All you need is a word from God. All you need to know is, okay, God, what is it that you are saying to me? That's all you need. A sure word and hold on to that thing and that thing will hold on to you. People are like, I want to know if I have a calling. You don't have a calling. A calling has you. Amen. Don't worry. Just keep seeking him. What he put in your heart will grow. Okay. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now he goes on to... The Lord ruling. The Lord is at your right hand. (laughs) He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. Let's think Acts 12 and Herod getting smitten. Do you know that Josephus, the historian, writes about that same event? Josephus. You know know who that is? This historian? Anyone? Someone? (laughs) It's okay. You don't know who he is. Don't worry. He lived a long time ago. No pressure. Uh, but he actually wrote about Herod being struck. But it's fascinating because he writes about it from an earthly standpoint. He doesn't write from it like he was struck by an angel. He, he says that he got suddenly sick and ill and just immediately died. The Bible s- shows you the spiritual And he writes what happened in the natural. It's not not a contradiction. It's the fullness of how humans are experiencing the story. Some are born again. Some see, have eyes to see. Some don't have eyes to see. But even if you don't have eyes to see, if someone drops dead in front of you, you can see that. So he wrote that. Okay. He shall judge uh, among the nations. He shall fill places with dead bodies. I mean, that's what happened in Jerusalem. He shall execute the head of countries, Herod, Nero. Do you know Nero turned the sword on himself? The most, you know the guy that, that took Paul's head off with the sword? He turned it on himself. Bless you. The most powerful guy on earth killed himself. That shows you the world has no solutions. None. Listen, vote, okay, cool, yep, I, I, you know, conservative Bible value, yeah, great, The world has no solutions on either side of that aisle. One side is even darker. The other one pretends it's not dark. There is no solutions in that realm. Only kingdom people like Daniel or Joseph who invade have solutions. Do not ever put your trust in men like that. Okay. He shall drink Of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. So this is, I don't know if you're seeing this, but this is a prophetic. Peter is preaching what David prophetically sang and wrote about. David wrote a song about this. And he's preaching this on the day of Pentecost, standing on David's tomb. That, that, is, that is God. God, let me tell you something. I know I want to say something to you because you're American. And I love you. And I'm American too, I think. But we like control too much. We like, I'm going to do this then. We don't pray about it. You just did it. You didn't even ask God. You just made, you just made a decision to do something. But you didn't even ask God. You just said, I'm going on vacation this day. I'm going to do this then. But wait a second. I mean, that's good. I want you to go on vacation. I hope you go on a great vacation. But did you pray about it? Did you invite the Lord into your planning and into your, into your, into your times and your seasons? Or are you just doing things? Because if you just do things, you'll miss things. And the things that you miss will be greater than what you're doing. Listen, if anyone is running my orchestra, I don't want it to be me. I want it to be God. If we're gonna have a conductor who's running the orchestra, I want it to be Jesus to be the conductor. Because look what Jesus. Look at what Jesus orchestrated. David wrote about it. Holy Spirit comes. Peter's preaching about it on his tomb at the exact time he said on the at the exact place on Zion there is no one that can run the orchestra like Jesus so I want to just tell you that if we call him Lord which he is if we call him Savior which he is let's allow him in real life to be the one that orchestrates the movements and the rhythms and the symphonies and then even the have you ever been in an Orchestra Sarnos? It's at the killing it and then it gets totally silent. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch conductor. Yep. You got because sometimes people are talking when it should be silent. Yep. Sometimes our prayer life is like that. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I wanna say something to you. I understand your to-do list for me. You know, thank you, Adam. You're amazing. <laughs> But let me just speak to you for a second. Okay. All right. So, you know, just if you give me three more minutes, five more minutes, we'll be done. All right. So they said, what do we do? Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized. You know, repent isn't a bad word. It means to turn around, reconsider what was just presented to you and respond to the reconsideration by being baptized and being, by being numbered, one of us. Simple. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise uh, is to you and your children and all who will fall off, uh, far off as many as God will call. And with many other words, say many other words. Many other words. <laughs> Hostage them too. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved this perverse generation see apostolic preaching has to address the perverseness of the generation and it's not that we are against anyone it's since since we're for them we must warn people about things that are destructive to them I cannot say that I love you and watch you drink poison in front of me I cannot say that I love you and, and just say, okay, it's all good. I'm going to not say anything about you calling yourself a Christian, but doing unchristian things. Maybe you weren't taught. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you were raised. I don't know what you, what, I don't know who spoke to you or who didn't speak to you. But if we see stuff that's crazy, yeah, it has to be called out or else I'm not being faithful. We're not being faithful. Okay. And when many, okay, exhorted them, blah, 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 uh, and they continued, this is the part, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a four-part continuation that is necessary to facilitate the movement. It's very simple. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, but the apostles' doctrine was not The apostles' doctrine, they didn't make it up. They didn't write a little book. It was Jesus' teaching that was once delivered to the saints. Since it was passed down to the apostles, it was their teaching, but it was what Jesus did and said, which you see in Luke and in Acts. It's very clear. So it's not mysterious. It's all right here. It's not complicated. It's clear, and it's not difficult. Okay. Then fear came upon every soul. And uh, many wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. One of the things I've learned with miracles and with trusting God and praying for the sick is that if your hands do not heal the sick, your shadow never will. In other words, if, if you don't lay hands on people, if you more people will get healed if you pray for them. Less people will get healed if you don't pray for them. I'm not that smart, but... Even I know that. (laughs) My spiritual father taught me that. I didn't know it myself. So uh, anyway, now all who believed uh, had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them uh, all as many as had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now I want to show you the connection between the fear of the Lord and favor with the people. There is a connection with the fear of the Lord and favor with the people. That is very important. The fear of the Lord is what allows me to be in right standing with God and to respond to God correctly. Favor with people is what allows me to minister to people effectively. So sometimes we want to force ministry or force the gospel on people, but if you don't have favor with people, they won't hear you. So you could you could do whatever you want to do in the flesh, but I learned that where there's favor there's ministry. Where there's favor, there's resources. Where there's favor, believe it or not, there's finances. I said resources and finances because not all resources are finances. Some resources are human resources which are the most valuable and the most difficult to develop. It's a whole other message. We can get out of there. Get out of that one. All right. So now, it's like, all right. And I think we're almost done. We're done. I said, give me five minutes, like three minutes ago. And here we come. We're getting ready to just fly in for a, car, a crash landing because this is an eternal gospel. Amen. And I did not get to anything that I wanted to fully get to. But that's okay. I got halfway through. It's like it's always a two-part thing here. So this is this is the thing. Now they, they sold. Did you see that they sold everything and had everything in common? Yeah. You know who loves that verse? Broke people. <laughs> Other people start sweating. <laughs> you know, I had a friend of mine, a very rich guy, and every time he would he would read the pearl. Of great price, he would get nervous. He would get nervous. And he said said to me, he said, I would read it fast. (laughs) And I said, all of the money you have can't buy the kingdom of God. (laughs) He was like, he was very liberated after that. It was actually Jesus that sold everything. And you're the pearl. Developed in darkness. Stuck in a dark place. And he comes and sells everything for you. You don't sell everything for him. You can't buy him. He bought you. See that? So anyway, that was a whole other free message. But th- th- this is, so this verse, this is the last thing I want, this is the last point I want to make. Because this is, this is again, this goes back to, Sarah's looking at me like, I, I'm just tired 30 minutes ago. But th- this is, Another part, remember we're talking about Jesus as the orchestra director? Here's another orchestra director situation. Because this is a real big deal where people live. People, I'm going to tell you one thing. A loser mentality is, it's cheaper in Florida, I'm leaving. That's a loser mentality. That's a loser mentality. It's better for you to learn how to make it than leave because you can't hack it. That's a loser mentality. Now, if God calls you to Florida, go to Florida. But just because it's cheaper, that's, that's an orphan mentality. That's not a, I trust God as my provider. God is my provision. God is the one that gives wisdom. That is straight humanism. That's not God. Now, why did they sell everything and have everything in common? Do you know that this is the only church? This is the only church... In all of the books of all of the New Testament, it was a church in Jerusalem that did this. Do you know why they did this? Jerusalem was going to fall to the Romans. So because they actually believed Jesus, what did they do? They sold when it was high. Roshan heard me. They sold when it was high. Why? Because Jerusalem is going to fall. Do you know that in the fall of Jerusalem, no Christians were in the city of Jerusalem and no Christians fought against Rome? They they listened to Jesus and they dipped. They bounced. You know one of the main places they went? Where Jesus cast the demons out of the guy with the pig. You know the Gadarenes? Remember that guy? That became a Christian little colony because the Christians left Jerusalem and went there. Why did they sell everything they have? Not because they're, you know, communist, socialist, some sort of utopia. No, they were like, listen, this place is going to burn, bro. We're out. So they dipped. That's why they sold everything so that they and their money came. They laid it at the apostles' feet. So this, you have to understand why am I saying this? I'm saying this because they actually believe Jesus and they position and pattern their life around that belief. This is what I'm saying. Let's let him be the orchestra director. So whether it's where we're living, whether it's in our planning, let him be the one that leads you that guides you, that connects you. Let him be the one that speaks on your behalf. Because if he speaks on your behalf, it's different than you speaking for yourself. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much how you orchestrate your purposes and your plans in our life, God. And we are humbled that you would bear with us so long And be so patient with us to orchestrate a beautiful story that gives you glory in our life. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to sensitize us and to refresh us, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.